So as Pastor Chad said at the beginning, we were starting a new series this week called Uncomfortable. We're wrapping up the whole summer, leading into our fall kickoff by talking and thinking and wondering about community. What does it mean to be a Christian community? For that matter, what does it mean to be a church? So to get at this a little bit and to kick off an uncomfortable series by making you uncomfortable, I'm gonna ask you a question. And this is not a rhetorical question, uh, but I really want your answers, so you need to say them out loud and loud enough that people can hear it. So here we go. Why do you come to church? Forgiveness, community, to worship God, recharge. Thank you. It's, that's a big distance from the front row up here. Nice and loud. Anyone else? To sing hymns. Oh, see, now you all want to say it, don't you? Yeah, that's right, that's right. To hear the word of God, and what else did somebody say here? To for fellowship? Yeah, these are, these are all reasons we come to church, right? People, and as evident by just a few of you who are brave enough to shout your answer out, people do come to church for many different reasons. Music, preaching, sacraments, prayer, confession and forgiveness. And that list that we name out loud is primarily the thing we like most about church, right? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong or bad to have things we like in church, but sometimes when we choose a church based on those things, then it's kind of easy to get mad when something happens that we don't like. A pastor friend of mine, Melissa Flora Bixler, posted uh, on Facebook not too many weeks ago this little treatise. So here we go. She said, worship... Being a church is not about entertaining you. Worship is not a mini TED Talk meant to inspire you. In fact, it's probably a good sign if for at least a few minutes every service you feel bored. That's an indication that it's not about you, but that you're a part of a diverse enough community that some of the songs are not your jam, and the thing that you are into in that moment may be something that someone else is not into. And the thing that you're not into might be something that's connective for someone else. Maybe a sermon spoke to someone else, even if it didn't speak to you. Now, worship should not be boring or flat or insincere or trite, but she says, I hope we can learn the difference between those things and a service that is meant to cater to your desires rather than, say, worship of the living God. Perhaps church the community, could be the one time, the one time in a week when we refuse to make space for the economic forces training us towards consumption. The one time a week when we are both our own and a part of a whole that we call the body of Christ. See, church is a communal activity. When we narrow it down to the particulars, we make it an individual activity. And church was never intended to be an individual activity. And this series over the next four weeks is about how Christian community is not actually for the individual. How the church was not and is not here to appease your needs or mine. And boy, does that make us uncomfortable. The text for today 
is from Peter's first letter, and in it, Peter is talking to a new Christian community of believers in and around the area we now know as Turkey. Peter is reminding the community there about a few things. In verse 5, he says this phrase, let yourself, like a living stone, be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Peter was talking about this idea of Christian community. So often we use the Apostle Paul's metaphor of, of the body of Christ when it comes to Christian community, right? We, we understand community as individuals making up a whole because Paul used this body has many parts but is one thing. But Peter uses this different one of stones building a house. And in some ways, I think this is so helpful because every stone in a house matters. Your presence here matters. You matter. The church is you, but is not just you. The church is you being connected to all of these others, creating something new, a spiritual house a holy priesthood. And there is so much history buried in this language that Peter uses as Jesus calls himself the cornerstone. And Paul refers to this same moment in this same chapter. So what does it mean? I always think of the cornerstone as that stone on the building that has the date on it. You know what I'm talking about? And I, I think we have a picture because that's the one in our youth room, which on Friday I ran around the whole building trying to find. And then somebody's like, oh, it's in the youth room. And I was like, what? So yes, that one. Um, despite the fact that that is not actually when the church was built, because that's earlier than that date. But normally you have it somewhere in a lower corner that says established and then a date. Now it turns out that is not what a cornerstone is. This, these are mostly ceremonial now. Originally, a cornerstone is the, was the first stone set in a construction of a masonry foundation. So since all other stones are set in reference to that first stone, it then determined the position of the whole structure. So Jesus says, and Peter reminds us of these words today, that Jesus is the stone that is set first in the church. And then all the other stones are set around it in reference to him thus determining the position of the whole structure. This tells us a lot about what the church is meant to do and be in the world. We are all a part of the building, but we are not the most important part of the building, right? We are a part of the church, but we are not the most important part of the church. That's Jesus, clearly. The church is a community not gathered around the music or the style, or the preaching, or the pastor, or the sanctuary. But Jesus, the church is a community gathered around Jesus. And Jesus is the cornerstone. We are not. And that is kind of a bummer, and it makes us uncomfortable. But what's so great about Jesus being the cornerstone and us not being the cornerstone is that it frees us twice. The first from thinking we don't matter because we do matter, and the second is from thinking that we are all that matters. Now, I think Peter really, really understood this as he was planting churches throughout Asia. I think 
Peter understood this because after he reminds these new churches, particularly in today's letter in Turkey, that Jesus is the cornerstone. After he reminds them that the spiritual house that we build is set up around Jesus, he does this very important thing. And he reminds them of their identity. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people, God's own people. Now that you is not the singular you in the Greek. It is plural. It is meant for a group of people. You all are a chosen generation. You are all a royal priesthood. You are all a holy people. You are all God's people. And then in verse 10, Peter says, once before this moment, once you were not God's people, but now you are. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have. It's such a beautiful section of this letter. Paul is reminding these new Christians who are struggling through the world, struggling through a world that is telling them to consume and be different and be outside and exclude and build walls and take care of themselves. He's telling them that who you are is mine. Who you are matters. You have been chosen. You are here on purpose. Don't let the world tell you who you are. I am telling you who you are. You are here on purpose. And you have been brought into this community of faith, the family of God. It's a message I think we do well to hear today, where the world is trying to tell us to be different, that what we do is who we are, what we look like is who we are. I was reading a story this week about the Little Rock Nine, and, uh, and so you, I'm going to warn you now, I love this phrase so much, you're probably going to hear it a lot from me, so consider this day one of me using this phrase a lot. Um, but Melba Beals, she's one of the Little Rock Nine, uh, she was interviewed, and in an interview she sat down and shared the story of her grandmother sitting her down before she went to school on that first day and grabbed her by the face and said, remember you are one of God's ideas. Isn't that just lovely? You are one of God's ideas. You. This is what God does for us. God looks at you and says, you know, once you were not in my family and now you are. You are one of God's ideas. And I'm telling you, who you are matters. And then Peter, in his letter today, unlike so many other times in Scripture, he gives us the for what. Jesus almost never does this, right? He makes us figure it out on our own. But Peter, he's just like, you are built into the community of faith. You are God's idea. So that. And then he tells us what the that is. So that you may proclaim the mighty acts of the one who called you out of darkness into light. Yeah. See, the sun just came out when I said that. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we gather See, we gather so that we might be reminded of who we are. We gather around the one who reminds us who we are. And then we are sent out to proclaim who God is. That is why we gather. And we do this by telling our stories, each one of us, our stories of how God has moved us from darkness to light of how God has stayed with us through the worst days and the worst nights, 
how God has brought us into the community of faith when we were rejected by the very ones who were supposed to love us. Stories of how God loves and saves and renews and rebuilds and resurrects every single day. I have a bullet here to tell me to tell a story. I don't know if I can do it without crying, so I'm, I'm debating. I'm looking at my paper being like, oh, I don't know. Uh, last fall, there was a lot of loss in my life. And honestly, I had a lot of anger and doubt and questions. And so, you know, that's like grief. But I wasn't left alone. Even then, coffee cards appeared on my desk. Nick made me special oils for grief. <laughs> Flowers appeared. I saw an interview this weekend. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Chad and I have been emailing about it kind of all weekend, but Colbert did an interview with Anderson Cooper. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it because it's super good. But one of the things he talked about was what gift, do you, what gift can you possibly get out of grief? And Colbert said you understand someone else's grief. That's what you get out of it. It's not good. It's not, a, it's not joyful. It's never going to be made good. But you get an understanding of what grief feels like and looks like and is for you. And I feel like the more we experience our life where God stays with us and God sticks with us and God walks with us and the community of faith does that because we are built around the God who stays with us, and this is what moves us from darkness to light. My fall felt so dark, but I was constantly being reminded of the light of this community. This is why we gather with people who aren't the same age as we are, who believe different things than we do, who have different experiences than we do. The most difficult and most beautiful thing about the church is the people. See, God has named you and claimed you and then built you into the foundation of the work God is doing in the world, and that is centered on Jesus. And truly, that should, that should and does really make you feel so amazing that that this is what you've been built into. But then also, God has built people into this community that worship differently than you do, who don't believe the same things that you do, who don't agree with you on everything. And they're built into the church as well. And that brings us back to the theme that we begin on this day because that is really uncomfortable. But maybe that's okay, because we come together each week to build something new. Each time we gather, every time we are sent, we are part of the church that God is creating in the world. It is such a gift and such a responsibility. So why do you go to church? Why are you willingly joining yourselves into a community with these people every week? As Reverend Melissa said, it's where we are both our own and part of the whole. It's where we are reminded of who we are, where we can be solidified in our identity, and where we are sent weekly to proclaim that same kind of love and light that we have been given into the world. So that moment in Peter's letter to the new church, he said, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that is true for us today. We have received mercy. We have been fed, and now we are sent, secure in our identity, 
built around the cornerstone and sent into a world to proclaim what God has done by bringing us from darkness into light. So do we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.